the years of that. I actually lived in, in Canada and America for about two and a bit years. And um, it's, a, it's a real privilege to be back. I mean, I always find it funny when I go to churches and I have to say, you know, it's a real privilege, privilege to be here because who in their right mind would get up in front of a church and say, it's actually really horrible to be here, you know. I'm really, really sad that you guys asked me. But, um, but the truth is, is that it actually is a real honor for me because in some ways I still feel a great sense of connection with this church. Um, every time I come back, there's always a part of me that's sort of like, why did I leave again? And, you know, my reasons were my own and you can come and talk to me about those if you want. But um, the truth is, is that I do love this church and it's always nice to be back and, you know, there's just such an amazing such an amazing heart and atmosphere of, of worship and love for God that I think you don't get everywhere else you go. And so it's just always special and nice to be a part of that. Um, this is my topic for tonight. Now, considering I chose it myself, you can already see some of the faults that are going to happen in this, particular, in this particular talk. The reason why I chose to talk on humility is because about a year and a half ago, it's uh, probably a bit long, I was, uh, so I'm a teacher at, at a high school. I, I work at Mueller College, for those of you who know Mueller. I'm a science teacher there in the, uh, in the high school. And every, every two years we do something called a CSA conference, whereas all the Christian schools in Queensland come to a, a central location and we hear from, from different speakers and do some workshops to learn how to be better Christian teachers. And uh, fortunately for me, our, the, the actual recent conferences have always been at my school, which is great because it means I just get up and go to work and everyone else has to travel from north part of Queensland. But we, got the, we had the chance to listen to a guy called John Dixon. Now, I don't know if you've heard of John Dixon, but he's a, he's a guy who uh, fights for Christianity in, in, the, in the workplace, in the marketplace. So he's actually just trying to tell people about who God is in a way that's accessible to everybody. But he came and he spoke on this idea of humility and humilitas, which is a Greek word that went with it. And I remember listening to it thinking, man, that's a really, that's interesting. It just sort of stuck with me. You know, every now and then you hear sermons that stick with you. It's not necessarily the content of the sermons, but there's just something in it that you're like... There's actually, I don't know, maybe God's speaking something. And as time has gone on, I've sort of, I've heard more sermons, I've listened to more teachings, and truthfully, eventually, I ended up listening to another sermon by, uh, is this going to work? <laughs> no? Do I need to point this somewhere? They did that, but thanks. Um, I was, I was watching a, uh, a sermon by a guy called Mike Bickle. Now, some of you know who Mike is. He's the leader of um, International House of Prayer over in Kansas City. And um, as I was listening to it, he, he, he said, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, so forgive me if they're not his exact words, but he said this. He said, there are two things found in the people of God which facilitates a move of the Spirit. They are humility and authenticity. And I remember when I heard those, I'm like, man, I, I'd really love to see a move of God. You know, and it's not that necessarily that we don't see, it's just that my heart has always been to see God move amongst these people. And when he talked about these two keys, I'm like, oh, it's interesting that this one idea keeps coming back up. And you know, authenticity is really great, and we can talk about that another time, but you know, humility is this thing that continually comes back up. And the thing I love about that statement is that it helps me catch to this idea that there is actually something in the heart of God that actually aspire, loves to see humility in his people. We'll actually sort of pull that apart tonight, but... It just, I hope that as we move ahead that you understand that there's a gravity to what we're talking about. You know, when I was a part of this church, there was a lot of things that we used to talk about and do because we desired God to move in this place. And I believe you still do, of course. But one of the things that I think we were lacking or we were missing was this idea of what it is to actually come before God humbly. 
Now, I'm not saying we weren't humble necessarily, but I'm just saying that there's a heart and an attitude with which that when we come before God in this way, it actually moves his heart. Here's one of the problems, though. I'm, I'm a teacher, right, as I said before, so I'm going to ask a question now, and it's not a rhetorical question. I, I understand that given the fact that I'm, this is a sermon, and, you know, when people ask questions in sermons, they're normally rhetorical. This one I actually intend to hear a little bit from you. One of the problems with humility is that we can often know what humility looks like, but we're not entirely sure how we would actually describe it. You know, we can sort of say, oh, I don't think that was humble, or I think, yeah, that was. And so I want to do a little bit of a test for you tonight. I'm going to give you a few quotes that are going to be up here, and I want you to see whether um, you think they're particularly humble or not. Now, the first one's actually my favorite quote on humility that I read. Um, this is by a guy called Oscar Levant. He said, what the world needs is more geniuses with humility. There are so few of us left. And I must admit, I identified with that straight away. And I, I just love it because, I mean, it's obviously a wonderfully witty thing, but at the same time, I think there's probably a bit of an element of truth in that. Now, how many of you are there? Humble, not humble? Hands up for humble? Hands up for not humble? Okay, most people, that's good. Okay, so we can identify that maybe that one's not particularly humble. Let's go with the next slide. This is a guy called Sevieli Tartakova. Now, he, fancy name, he's just a chess player. Okay, so don't be too freaked out. He's not some great philosopher or anything. Um, he's a chess player. He said, I talk to myself because I like dealing with a better class of people. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've said something similar in my lifetime, so I'm not going to hold him to too much account. Humble, not humble. Okay. So, so far we can identify what it doesn't look like. That's good. Let's see if we can keep going. I'm going to keep pressing this button just in the hope. Kanye. My greatest pain in life is that I'll never get to see myself perform. <laughs> Look, Kanye's known for being a man of great humility. Um, in the fact that he has, of course, does like to talk about himself. He, do, he has, of course, crashed, uh, was it the, I was about to call it the Arias, oh my goodness, how out of touch am I? The Grammys, wasn't it? The Grammys, in order to try and strip Taylor Swift of her lovely Grammy to give it to Beyonce or whoever it was. Was that right? Have I got my information correct there? Gen X's or Y's or whatever you are, Z's. Um, showing my edge. All right, so that's Kanye. Again, I think we can all agree that that one's not particularly humble, right? Considering most of you laughed when you read it. So let's just move on. What about this next one, though? I've always tried to be self-deprecating when talking about myself. As long as you set the bar low, it will keep people from putting you on a pedestal so they can't knock you off. Here she is saying, you know what, I just, I'm trying to keep myself low, and I do that by just, you know, I make sure that I make jokes about myself or I talk myself down. What do we think there? Do we think that that's humility? How many of us think that it's not particularly humble? How many of us are like, mm, this, does it even fall in the category of this? Okay, a few of you are sort of like, yeah, okay. All right, so that's Megan Fox, you know, she's just trying to express how she feels about life and, you know, stardom and all such things. What about our next one? Okay, I'm not doing anything, let's be fair. Um, to be beautiful means to be yourself. You don't need to be accepted by others, you need to accept yourself. Now this way, uh, I'm gonna ruin his pronunciation of his name, but Thich Nhat Han. Now, okay, clearly I did. Um, he is a Buddhist monk. 
you know, a man who walks around, uh, walks around, who goes around the earth teaching people about the waves of Buddhism and the, and, the, and the ideas and the mantras that come along with that. How many of us would say, humble? How many of us would say, not humble? How many of us would say, we're not quite sure? Okay. See, this is one of the things, I find it interesting that when we talk about humility, we're very good at being able to identify when it's not around. But we have a hard time of identifying what it actually looks like. And what I want to do tonight is I want to actually talk about some of the ideas that the Bible presents. But I'm, I'm going to get to the Bible later, and I apologize for those of you who would prefer that I started with a Bible verse. But I'm going to get myself there, I promise. Okay? And I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways in which people have tried to approach it. Now, I'm going to give you a, another quote, because I, I love quotes. I spent about, you know, a couple of weeks reading quotes on humility. Now, I, I didn't know I was preaching this sermon. I was just interested in looking up quotes on humility. Um, and this is the next one. This is by a guy called Charles Spurgeon, who was a great Baptist preacher from back in the uh, 1900s. He said, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. I heard that statement given to me. Now, it wasn't given to me by Charles Spurgeon, of course, but it was given to me by another guy when I was uh, in Toronto. And he said, humility is the willingness to be known for who you truly are. And I thought that was such an interesting statement. You know, because... I've, I've always aspired to this idea that we can be humble. But I mean, it's not natural for me. I don't think it's natural for most of us in many ways. And I think about this and I'm like, okay. So humility is to make, make a right estimate of myself. So is it that maybe I just see myself as something greater than what I am? You know, we can, we can look at Kanye. We can look at um, Savelli. We can look at uh, Oscar. And we can say, you know, clearly they probably didn't have a right estimate of themselves. Maybe Oscar did. He was just have, having a joke. But... You know, there's this idea in which we can see that when we have an overestimate of ourselves, we're like, oh, that's clearly not humble. But in this sense, he's also saying, well, what happens if we have a lower estimate of ourselves? Is that humble at all? You know, when we're talking about, you know, these other people like Megan Fox and uh, our Buddhist monk, we're sort of struggling to identify because we're like, you know, I've always heard of this idea of humility as just being, we're comfortable with the opposite. That's proud or that's arrogant. We can know what those look like. But some, yet, especially in Australian culture, when we put ourselves down, we're like, ah, see, there's a good bloke, there's a good lass. Apparently I've turned into Scottish, but anyway. Um, you know, there's this sense in which we actually celebrate the idea of actually lowering ourselves or putting ourselves down in front of people. And the thing is, is that part of that is kind of correct, but the other part isn't. And we've got to try and understand and really sift through what it looks like. So I want to start by telling you a few stories. Can we just skip over the next two, to the next two slides, or the second slide from this one? I want to start by telling you some stories. I thought I'd given everyone else a picture, so I thought I'd give myself one. I found the uh, prettiest picture I could find, and that was me when I was trying. I actually just decided to have a shave one day and just see what I look like with a moustache. <laughs> Turns out seedy. Um, I was just on a biology camp that I was running for my school and I had the chance to speak on this particular topic with them and you know, they're all 17 years old and some of you in here might be around that age as well. And I, I was thinking back to when I was 17, I, I remember thinking, you know, I just, I just knew what I thought life was about. You know, and it may sound odd, but I, I was so confident that this is what life should look like. I, I was school captain at my school. I was like, you know, life is about leading and taking charge and taking ownership of your life and stepping out and being up front and doing all the things you should do. And so I was pretty proud of myself for that. 
I was also um, a good soccer player, so I used to spend six days a week roughly training or playing soccer, and I loved that. You know, the fact I'm calling it soccer is me trying to humble myself in front of you right now. It's actually football, but let's not go there. Um, I loved it. I, I did it so much. It was something that brought me great joy, and I had the fortune that by the time I was 15 years old, I was getting paid to play. Okay, so I didn't actually have to work when I was going through high school. I could, my work was to play football. You know, there are two things that were working really well for me, you know, but I, I was like, okay, so I'm doing well in the sporting world, I'm doing well in the, like, the social world, or like the, you know, how am I going at my studies? My studies were good, I got an OP7 when I left, I was aiming for an OP6, probably could have tried a little bit harder if I wanted to, in fact, I could have tried a lot harder if I wanted to. Um, but I was like, you know, I was aiming just for what I need to get, and so I aimed for a 6, got a 7, I was like, that's pretty good. And then, you know, the crown of my achievements of that year was the fact that I, uh, I was like, okay, so I'm doing well with people, I'm doing well in school, I'm doing well in sport, you know, what's my, what's my last thing that I really want to do well in? And I was like, I want to do well with women. <laughs> it's, it's kind of true. Um, and so I was, I was looking around my school and then there was this girl and I thought she was the hottest girl in school. I was like, let's have a crack. You know, everything else is working for me, let's see if it can work. And so, sure enough, we started dating. I was like, how good is life? You know, these, and the thing was is that I want you to notice here is, is that each of them gave me this sense of security and this sense of significance. It was like, yeah, look at all the great things that I'm getting to do. And the thing is, is that as I tell you these stories, I don't tell you them just so that you can hear my story or, you know, me brag about the things that I liked doing when I was 17. I tell you them because I think each of us have a thing in which we identify with, don't we? That thing that actually helps to make us feel significant. It could be a relationship. It could be your job. It could be that you're just really good at this one thing, you know? And the truth is, is that as I was searching for this significance, I found it really fulfilling. It's the beauty of it. You know, when things work out, it's really fulfilling, right? It's always great to see that. But here's the thing. If you asked anyone when I was 17 to describe me, if they didn't know me well, one of the first things that would come out of their mouth was that I was an arrogant man. My own father described me as arrogant for a while. That was interesting. But that's how I was described. So what was missing? As I was looking through my quotes on humility, I found this one by C.S. Lewis, and it's my favorite. If we can go to the next slide. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. You see, as I was coming to this understanding, as I was reading all these quotes, I'm like, if it's, to be, if it's just about being myself and not having too high estimate or too lower estimate of who I really am, what does it look like? And then I read this and I'm like, hang on a second, maybe there's another paradigm, maybe there's another way in which it actually works. Maybe there's something that was missing in all of what I was seeking for. Because I actually think that what's, Charles Spurgeon was actually referring to, we would probably call authenticity. The willingness to be known for who we truly are. We're not willing to put ourselves too high. We're not willing, willing to put ourselves too low. We're just like, this is who we are. I'm going to be authentic around people. But the thing is, is that it doesn't necessarily make us humble because if we actually think about what Lewis is talking about here, he's actually saying, it's not about thinking less of yourself. It's not even thinking think about more of yourself. It's actually not even thinking about yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was 17, I can tell you now the first person on my mind every day was me. I can tell you now that at 34, 17, 17 years later, the first person on my mind is me. 
I'm winning the race to humility, people. Let's go to the next slide. I love this quote from St. Augustine. There is something in humility which strangely exalts the heart. We're going to come back to this quote in a second. But these two quotes, the one from C.S. Lewis and from St. Augustine, have sort of been shaping the way in which I've been thinking about humility for the last couple of months. And it's because when we actually don't think less of ourselves, but we actually just think about ourselves less, there's this wonderful thing that occurs that as I can start to think about other people around me, all of a sudden there's something in my heart that goes, hang on a second, this is actually pretty good. It's almost counterintuitive. But I want to I illustrate it by telling more of my story, if that's okay. Because, you know, what better way to describe humility than by talking about yourself? We understand what it's not, so let's go with it. Here's another picture that I found on my phone. It's handsome man. Um, I told you those stories. What I didn't tell you was that by the time I was 18, I had contracted glandular fever. And my footballing career turned into uh, pretty much just turning up week, in, week after week to get abused by people for telling, about telling me about how poorly I was playing. So I, I just couldn't play. I couldn't run. Everything I tried to do just didn't work out. It just all fell in a heap. And you can imagine that when your significance is about how good you can play a certain sport, then when you stop playing it pretty badly, and it's not just that, you actually start getting abused, not just from people on the sidelines, but people that you're playing with and people that you're playing for, you start thinking, all right, maybe this isn't worth it too much. All right, so I got glandular fever and I started playing football incredibly badly. I ended up quitting. I was doing that. I was doing my teaching career. So I moved into university by this stage and I did a few things with teaching and I found out pretty quickly that I hated it. May explain some things to some people who had me as, teacher, as a teacher. But I found out that I just hated it. I was like, what on earth is this? I'm not very good at it. I thought being a PE teacher was just about playing sport with kids. You know, but it turns out it wasn't. And I was just like, this sucks. So here I am trying to do something that I'm, I'm actually really bad at. Like, I actually got failed by one of my um, prac teachers because he just said I wasn't very good. It's like, cool, excellent. Winning that one too. Okay, so there's two strikes on the record. You know, but maybe, maybe I can still hold on to other things. So I had my relationship. Prettiest girl in school. We weren't in school anymore, but she was still the prettiest girl to me. She went away on a missions trip. Halfway through the missions trip, the leader of the missions trip led a devotion on settling for less than what God would have for you. She heard that sermon, felt convicted by God that by being with me, she was settling for less than what God had for her. And she came back and said that to me. I wish she said it in those ways. What she actually said is, she said, by being with you, Nathan, I feel like I'm settling for second best. What wonderful words to hear for every, any person's heart. And you can see that all these things that I had set up in my, years, in my year 12, in my 17 years of age, just going, look how good life is. Look how significant I am. God's just going, you know what? You want to think that makes you significant? Let me tear that away. Let me tear that away. Let me tear that away. And guess what I did? When all of that crumbled, guess what I did? I thought to myself, I know the best way to respond to this. I am going to go to God. And everyone was like, oh, spiritual man. Well played, sir. I spent the next eight years of my life seeking after God in such a way that I was so determined to serve him, so determined to do whatever I could to make his name great, that guess what it turned into? It turned into my quest for significance. 
all I did is I took what I used to do and all these things and I just said, all right, I'm going to lump them in God. Because, I mean, hey, as Christians, we've all been taught that I should seek after God, right? Yeah? You know, seek first the kingdom of God, the rest will be added to you. What a great idea. I'm just going to go and do that. But I, what I'm actually thinking is the rest will be added to me. God, you see what I'm doing, right? Don't forget about the second part of that verse. Eight years, God, come on. And then things, I went over to Europe. Uh, to Europe. I went over to America and Canada. Oh, I had a great time. Star of my school, guys. And I know I, that sounds arrogant. That's because it is. I was the star of my school. It was wonderful. We went away. We did all sorts of things. I got taught how to prophesy. I went to a missions um, camp, um, a missions place in California, and they offered me a job. We'd had people going to, like, from our school, people had been going there twice a year for 15 years. Not a single person before the time I got there had been, ever been offered a job by this place. That's how impressive I was. Yeah. Guess what came after this? I went to a place in America. I didn't go there. I went there to serve and I was like, God, this is my time to shine. This is what you've called me to. This is my time for significance. Because remember, God, I have come and I've served you. I've done it faithfully for this amount of time. I was the star of the show where I just was God. So here we are. Bring upon the ministry that's here for me. And you can already hear the humility with which I'm coming before God by doing this. So guess what happened? All of a sudden, little bits by little bits just start to fail. And it's interesting how little bit by little bit starts to fail, except this time, instead of it just being about a girl, about a sport, about my ability to function as a you know, person in society, this one was all about my, my relationship with God. It started to fall apart, and guess what happened to me? When the one thing that your identity sits in starts to fall apart, guess what happens to your identity? It starts to fall apart with it. I burnt out, it turns out. I've actually been in counselling for the last five, six years, I think, trying to talk through some of the issues that happened from that, all because I had this idea of what it should look like. Let me give you a little story. This is one of my favourite stories of just how bad things got for me for a while. When I left here, I left here because I was burnt out effectively and I wanted to go somewhere else and just hide. So I, I picked Nexus Church, for anyone who knows Nexus. And the reason why I picked Nexus is because I was like, I'm getting on, I want to try and meet a woman, so this will be great. Um, you know, good idea when you're burnt out. Um, so I got there, sat in the pews, didn't talk to anyone, but there was this one girl who was in my small group who was the leader of it. I thought she was pretty and interesting and she was really creative. I was like, cool, she seems nice. And then one day, I turned up to church and I was like, great, I'm not feeling anxious. Here's the side part. I developed crippling anxiety where I didn't want to leave my home for a long period of time. Okay, about two years it happened. So I'm finally at church, I'm like, all right, I'm feeling good, I don't have any anxiety tonight. So this is what I saw. She walked out, and I was like, cool, there she is, go and say hello. I was like, cool, let's do it. So I went up and I said, hey, how are you doing? She said, I'm well, how are you? And it was almost as if the moment she said, hey, how are you doing, all of the anxiety that I didn't feel that night just jumped on me. You know, all, all two years worth just jumped on me at once to, my, to the fact that my response was this. Can you just give me a minute? To which case she was like, yeah, okay, sure. And I literally turned around and just went, yeah, I'm well, thank you, see ya. <laughs> Pride comes before a fall. We know this. And sometimes we think that, you know, my stories of being anxious and not being able to talk to this girl are like horror stories. They're actually not. They're my pain stories. But I want to tell you why they're not horror stories. They're not horror stories because 
You see, when I think less of myself, sorry, when I don't think less of myself, but I think of myself less, there is something that strangely happens in my heart which exalts. You see, through all this humbling and humiliation, I really wish it wasn't, didn't have to be that, there's an opportunity to embrace and find this center which is actually like, you know what? God's actually able to love you wherever you're at. We know this, we've heard all these sermons, we've heard the God loves you sermons, right? But the reality is, is there's a context to all of it. And we think that God loves us because we're able to do all these things. It's really interesting to find out whether God loves you when you can't do anything. And all that, that looks different for all of us, of course. You know, let's go to the next slide and let's get to some Bible. There's this beautiful idea in the Bible where Jesus actually demonstrates what it looks like to be humble. He says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. That's in Romans 12, 16. That's actually Paul. Yeah, but the example that's given, that Jesus gives, is actually washing his disciples' feet. Every time I read that thing, it moves my heart because I realize just how filthy those feet were, but not just that. He knew precisely that these people were going to desert him and one of them was actually going to betray him as he voluntarily washed their feet. You see, Jesus wasn't thinking less of himself. He was just not thinking of himself at all. He was like, how can I show them what it looks like to actually be loved? How can I humble myself in such a way? And then, then of course, there's the famous verse and uh, chapter in Philippians 2. And it just, it brings out this idea of humility so beautifully, of what humility actually looks like. It says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Do you hear the fact that there is something about unifying? There is a unity and a love that comes from the thing that he's about to talk about. Can you all see that? There is comfort, there is unity, there's love. There's something strangely, there's something about humility which strangely exalts the heart. That's literally what he's about to say. There is something that actually unifies us and brings us together and brings something out of us when we do it. This is what he says in verse 3. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, forget about yourself. But in loneliness of mind, let each, other, let each esteem others better than himself. Do you hear the heart in this? Paul's actually had an understanding of what humility looks like. And the humility isn't about lowering your, uh, sorry, thinking of yourself so lowly that you're worth nothing or thinking of yourself so highly that you think you're worth everything. It's actually about going, you know what, let's not even think about myself. Because the greatest joy that I have is to actually lay myself aside to see how I can meet the needs of other people. To esteem them better than myself. Let each of you not only look, uh, sorry, look, sorry, let each of you look out not only, whoa, backwards. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. You can see the heart coming out again and then we go into this wonderful verse. Well, we, I mean, most of us who have been in Christianity long enough have read this multiple times. But it's the, it's the greatest example we have. It's actually the example of Christ where he's saying, you want to know what humility looks like? There's some people in here tonight who are like, these are all great ideas. Thanks for that, Nathan. But tell me what I need to do. This is what you need to do. But in your way. You're not called to cry, die for humanity. You're called to die for the people who are in front of you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, 
He was so high, he was so mighty, but made himself of no reputation, did not think about himself, taking the form of a servant. He who was high made himself low in order to meet the needs of those who were down there. You see, one of the great mysteries and beauties of humility is that it says the greater must become lower in order to meet them where they're at. It's such a beautiful picture and I've got some things to help illustrate this in a second. Taking the form of bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. What death? Death on a cross. You see, if you want to know what it looks like to be humble, get this. This is the calling of Christ upon your life. It is not an easy one. It is not even a fun one necessarily, but it is the call because as we do it, there is something that will strangely exalt your heart that we would die for each other. Now, I understand that some of us in the room might be like, well, I'm not even a Christian. What do you mean die? Am I actually supposed to actually go and kill myself? What's going on? What he's talking about is that we'd actually be of the same mind of Christ that's saying, I want to prefer you even at the expense of what may be best for me. Can we always do that? No, of course not. We're human. Let's not think that we can somehow all, you know, all of a sudden just turn into Christ. But what we get to do is we get to agree with it and take little step by little step to say, you know what, I want you to know I want to actually focus upon you. This is not even about me. How can I help? Jesus Christ died on a cross. Let's go to the next slide. There's a wonderful um, uh, pastor over in America called Denny Silk. He pastors at Bethel. And he said this, humility is where the greater meets the lesser where they're at. In that last verse, that's what we saw. Jesus, the greater, lowered himself and actually became human in order to meet us where we were at. And I've got the picture up there of a father with his child. What better example of it? You know, how many, what father comes before his child and says, you know, gives him a clip over the ear and says, why can't you understand this yet? You know, what good father anyway? What good parent, when, when the child gets up to walk and falls over, says, pff, pff, clearly you're just not meant to walk. Look at me. Huh? Look at me. I'm your example. Why can't you walk? Yeah, you're useless. Do you see how that's not the father lowering himself? That's the father expecting him to, people to be brought up. And yet in Christianity, when we approach a God, our God, what we do is we tend to say, oh, I'm meant to be like him. And he's like, no. I want you to realize what it's like to actually need me to be like you. Let me say that again. Oftentimes we walk through this life of Christianity of like, I've got to mature because I've got to be like Christ. What God is actually saying is, yes, I want you to mature, of course. But what you need to mature is actually not to figure out what it is to look like me and to do all the wonderful things that I did, but to actually allow my Heavenly Father to come down and meet you where you're at. Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that actually leads us into saying, you know what, I realize what it is to be met where I'm at, so maybe I can think about other people for a time. I've probably gone way too long and I apologize but I actually have a nine-minute video. Is that okay? It just helps to demonstrate this. Okay. Um, I've got a little secret to tell you. I'm really, really bad at meeting people where they're at. Just ask my mother. She's here tonight. She'll tell you. My sister will tell you too. I'm really bad at it. I like people to meet me where I'm at because that makes things much easier for me. But the one, there's, one, there's one set of people that every time I see them, my heart just just wants to do anything I can to try and meet their needs. Every now and then I see people who are disabled and mostly, mostly mentally disabled and my heart just breaks because I'm like, how can I help you? What can I do? Here's the funny thing about me though. I think that, I feel that and then I go, 
I don't know how I could help you. I've got no skill. I don't know what I would do. See what happens? My heart wants to humble itself, but then my mind gets in the road and says, oh, but what about you? And it counteracts that. And the video I want to show you is a, is a story of a man and his son. And he displays this in just such a way that I could never hope to. So I figure I let him just demonstrate what it looks like to lower yourself to meet someone where they're at. Either way, it all started when Rick heard about a charity run broke. 
There's a few things I want to tell you about Dick Hoyt. At the age of 40, he suffered a heart attack. A couple of months later, his son asks him if he can take him for a run for five miles to support another disabled kid. Guess what his first thought was? Heck yes. Could have killed him. Could have killed him. A couple of years ago, Dick and Rick actually ran their last race together. And that was after 31 years of Dick actually racing with his son. He was 71. Guess why he gave it up? His back just couldn't hold out any longer. His body actually physically shut down on him. So he got someone else to come in and race, and so his son still gets to race. So Rick has actually outraced his father, technically. But the thing I love the most is that whenever I see this, there's something in me that just goes, yes. I watched a few other videos as well. There's one where they actually get honored at the ESP, ESPN Awards, the ESPY Awards. And the entire room full of all these star athletes are standing to applaud these two men. You know what the funny thing is? Something in my heart goes, yes! Because humility strangely exalts the heart. When someone gets celebrated for not thinking about themselves for a very long period of time, gosh, it brings me great delight to see them get what they deserve. And the truth is, is it's in us because that's what God's heart is for each of us. You see, I talked about Philippians 2, but I could give you about 80 billion other verses in the Bible. Slight exaggeration. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Throughout and throughout and throughout, you can see that God's heart is for this. That it, when we actually forget about ourselves, it's something strange that happens in the kingdom of God where we find it. And I want to leave you with this one quote. I hope you're going to come up. This is by Martin Luther. And I love the thought. True humility does not know that it is humble. If it did, it would be proud from the contemplation of so fine a virtue. Let me put it in modern day English for you. If you're ever wondering if you're humble, that thought alone has probably meant that you're probably not there yet. The moment you stop thinking about yourself and just continue to lay yourself down for the good of other people, that's where it's at. Jesus is our example. He died so that people could live. But I want to leave you with these two quotes. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And there is something in humility which strangely exalts the heart. I told you my stories. I'm not there yet. But yet somehow it's my failings that have somehow meant more to me than my successes because there is something in humility which strangely exalts the heart. That's the example we've had set for ourselves. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you delight in setting that example for us. And Lord, I just pray that tonight, that while we may have a better idea of what it looks like, we're not sitting here expecting ourselves just to go from zero to a hundred and just being perfectly humble. But Lord, that we would see that such a lofty idea, such a wonderful value, Lord, would actually just be something we would prize enough to get it wrong and get back up again. And that Lord, in our failures, we actually might be finding more about what it means to be humble. And that in our successes, Lord, we might be given great opportunities to figure out what it looks like to be more humble. Because Lord, at the end of the day, 
it's our joy to try and think of other people in the midst of that. And so, Father, I just pray tonight, if there's anyone in here, would you just meet them? Anyone in here, Lord, who really just needs, needs someone to meet them where they're at? Father, I thank you that you are the example of humility, that you are the God of humility, and that, Lord, you will meet each of us where we are. And that, Lord, if there's anyone who needs prayer, may they be willing to just go, you know what, I could use some prayer. And if there's anyone who would love to pray for people, Lord, I just pray that there might be opportunity for that. And I just want to invite anyone who may want to get prayer, you're more than welcome to come out the front. There'll be plenty of people who I'm sure would be happy to pray for you. But if you want, just find the person next to you. And just ask that God would bless each of you in such a way as to just think of others. Thank you, Lord. Amen.